The material provided today is for informational purposes only. It should not be considered legal or financial advice. Consult with a financial professional for your own needs. John E. Sestina and Company disclaims any and all liability for the interpretation and use of the content provided today. I need help getting out of my student loan debt. I'm so worried. How am I going to afford taking care of my parents? When's a good time to get into the market? I'm really not sure when I should start taking my Social Security. I wonder if I have enough insurance. I wonder when I can retire. It's time to talk about your money, managing to be wealthy. Our team of fee-only financial planners is ready to help you create better financial habits, envision your long-term goals, and understand money management better than ever. Our resident hosts of John E. Sistina and Company are on deck to show you the way. Thank you for joining the Managing to Be Wealthy podcast, where we bring the topics to increase your financial literacy. I'm your host, Tracy Bennett. Joining me today are certified financial planners, Tony Payne and Cole Hammock. Hey, guys. How's it going today? How's everybody doing? Doing well. Great to be here with you. Absolutely. It's nice to be in the room with you guys again. We usually get a a good combination of conversations going, good chemistry. So I'm anxious to get into it. Everybody's kind of talking about New Year's resolutions, New Year, New Me, uh, every every kind of formula possible, okay. you know, to start the new year off right and get it right. Uh, today's topic is going to kind of uh, lean into that, navigating New Year's resolutions, practical financial tips for real people. So we're going to kind of break down things that people can do to, if you're off track, get back on track. And if you are new to the party, uh, engage to know where to start to take first steps. Um, so let's kind of talk about the various aspects of setting and achieving realistic resolutions, if that's even possible. I mean, sometimes that's kind of hard. Do you have trouble with your resolutions or do you even make them? I, <laughs> it, it's kind of those things like uh, through the year, what do I want to accomplish more short term? But I, I think I've let myself down enough in the past that I don't set proper <laughs> resolutions. <laughs> <laughs> I know myself too well. But I'll set the the goals, like do I want to hit a specific point, uh, like net worth-wise or pay down debt a specific amount kind of thing. But the new year, new me, I, I don't want to disappoint me. Yeah. You know? What about you, Tony? <laughs> no, not something I really do. But I'm going to take a little contrarian opinion today, maybe, because I think all of us are in that, you know, forget New Year's, forget that goal stuff, maybe. But there's a reason why people always bring that up. There's a reason why the gyms got full. I mean, it's the idea that it's a fresh slate. Right. And we know it's never too late to start. So if you haven't done everything you should be, or perhaps you've fallen off a track, it is a good time to reset. I mean, it's always a good time to reset. I think that's what we're saying. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, if you have that attitude and you look back and you go, gee whiz, that was a heck of a year. I don't want to do that again. This is a great time to go ahead and say, what do I need to do to make sure that doesn't happen again? Mm-hmm. Great point. Absolutely. We love the topic budgets when we actually don't like the topic budget. I'm being facetious, but uh, let's kind of, you know, the budget is is a word everybody understands. It's language that people understand. So let's kind of talk about budget budget basics for every day um, and, and some practical and realistic budgeting strategies that can work for somebody with um, a pretty busy and unpredictable lifestyle, Tony. Well, again, why do we not like budgets? It's not that we don't like spending or knowing what you spend, but it's the idea that if you set an unrealistic expectation, it's not fair. It's not real. It's not even going to happen. So sometimes when people are setting budgets, you know, instead of $100 on this, I'll spend 90 Is that even realistic? Is that something you want to do? Is that something that, 
you know, again, economically, is that possible? And it not, isn't always. So that's why I think budgets aren't really the way to go as much as what's my cash flow? What's going out? What's coming in? What am I putting towards savings? What am I paying in taxes? You know, knowing those sorts of things, I think that really trumps the idea of well, what's my budget. Yeah, to, to add to that, I think budgets are nice in the sense that it creates a, a framework for you. But the framework, to Tony, to your point, it has to be based on realistic information. Yeah. So understanding where your spending is first. So who I am as a consumer, where my dollars going, that's kind of the baseline for figuring out how we can actually budget. So I know I spend on average $175, a week on groceries. Maybe my grocery budget's $800 a month. Instead of trying to, how can I force it into something like mm-hmm. 500, 600? Because then that's how you you blow up the budget. You're robbing Peter to pay Paul in the other categories. So you got to figure out what's right for you, what's actually real. But then you can create that framework to kind of guide you through the rest of the year. And just make sure you're staying on track, not blowing out one category in particular. And I think if I might say it starts with your emotional relationship to money, you have to get real with yourself, uh, really real. You know, if you if you tend to be a spender, um, decide what your priorities are. I mean, you can't just sit down, every, you know, you sit, sit down with a spreadsheet and put it on paper. But if you're not willing to put the time in and the discipline, it's just not worth it. Well, and that's why I think what we do is so special, because really, when you're doing custom planning, you are doing it custom for each family. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have some principles, some policies that you're going to stick to, but at the end of the day, everyone's plan, everyone's goals are going to be a little different. The tools they have to get there are going to be a little different. So the idea of whether it's budgeting or cash flow, whatever you want to call it, but the idea of where's my money going, how's it working for me, that's really what we're getting to. I mean, I think that's the key of this when you start off and say, where was I last year? Where do I think I might be this year? And am I hitting my priorities? It's not so much about which bucket is going where, but am I hitting those priorities? Let's talk about an emergency cash fund, because I I suspect that's probably one of the most important things to start with in the new year as you approach how you're handling your money. So how can people address that? You know, how much, you know, where should they put it? Where should they start? Well, I know historically there's a, a rule of thumb. It's three to six months of your expenses. And realistically, something happens, there's an emergency, you might look for ways to cut back expenses. But when we're thinking of cash reserve, it's good to be conservative and it's good to be realistic. We don't want to cut back if we don't have to. Mm-hmm. So if you're spending ten grand a month, that's pretty easy math. Three months, we want $30,000 in the cash reserve. Six months, we want $60,000 in the cash reserve. So that's kind of a, a basis for the conversation, but and obviously then, we've seen. If I can also, interrupt you, yeah, and that and that thirty thousand. When you say thirty thousand, mm-hmm. I sit and I gasp. I think, whew, that's a you know, for somebody listening or following us, might say, oh, yeah, right. How am I going to do that? How am I how am I going to begin to to approach that? And again, it's about making your choices, prioritizing your spending, right? Getting real. Oh, a- absolutely, yeah. Because uh, there's a, a hierarchy essentially in where your dollars should go. Obviously, we have to live, but when we have those extra dollars, you want to make sure you're paying down consumer debt. There's no reason to have a credit card debt that's racking up twenty, thirty percent interest rate. But then after that, you start building up that cash reserve. That's where that next dollar should go before we start thinking about well, where can I start investing my money? Mm-hmm. Because we need to account for those emergencies mm-hmm. so we don't get back into that credit card debt. And you really think about it. I mean, the studies show it. It almost doesn't matter the income level. 
most Americans are living paycheck to paycheck, mm -hmm. or at least they can't deal with the major emergencies. And that includes those with six-figure incomes. Mm -hmm. So when you go through and say the priority, that's that cash reserve. That's it's, And why? Why is it a priority? Any emergency you have, think about it, whether it's something with your car, something with your health, something with your kids, you're going to need liquid money. So that means I can't rely on selling stocks and waiting the four or five days. I can't rely on going to the bank and getting a loan. I can't rely on going and getting an appraisal on the house. I've got to have liquid, real money to be able to pay for something in an emergency. And that's the reality we're getting to when you're trying to say, how do I start fresh? Where do I prioritize? Do you really have that liquid reserve for an emergency? Mm -hmm. You might say, I've got this asset or this thing, but is it really liquid? Because if you need it, that's what I think, Cole, you were getting yeah. at too. If you need it, you don't want any walls between that and actually getting done what you need done. Mm -hmm. And you kind of give me a good segue to the next conversation piece, and that's crushing debt. If you have a New Year's resolution that says, I'm going to get rid of all of my debt, my credit card debt, whatever it is, uh, let's give people some strategies to start, you know, kind of pulling away from debt while they're strategically saving or creating this emergency fund, right? So what what can we offer up? Yeah, so I think historically there's kind of two primary focuses, two primary strategies when it comes to eliminating debt, and that's the, the snowball approach, and that's the avalanche. I think we're, we're familiar with those here, but uh, for the listeners, the snowball, this is the one that kind of makes you feel good sooner, uh, the idea being that you want to tackle the the debts with smaller balances first, get those paid off, and then you start applying that uh, freed up cash flow toward the larger debts, kind of so on and so forth. You're creating that larger snowball to pay off your debt. So there's a lot of comfort there. There's a lot of uh, those uh, little victories along the way. The alternative being the avalanche, where you're focusing on the higher interest rate debt first, the ones that are actually costing you more to carry. Now, that's a little bit harder. We might have to wait a little bit longer just in the sense that we're not seeing that instant gratification on paying off the smaller ones, but thinking just strictly which one's costing us more. Avalanche, like myself personally, that's the route I would go, but there's nothing wrong with either approach. Yeah, when you think about it, this is where there's economics and there's accounting and there's a couple other spe specialties that I could get into, but depending upon each point of view, you might take a different approach. Yep. And at the end of the day, to us, it's more about, am I reaching the goal? Am I paying off debt? There's ways to pay it off quicker if we're robots or if we can live like we're just in a spreadsheet. But then you have other factors that come into play, not or just people. emotions, but yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. The people part, but then what, what your access to funds is, what the conditions of the market are at the time, your, your individual market, really. So those are all things that play into the importance of doing this the right way, paying attention, because again, no matter who you are, how big the business is, what you have going on, these interruptions can be devastating. And we haven't talked at all about behavioral finance. I mean, I learned a lot about this when I started working for this company, and it's, it's very logical, uh, but assessing what your background says about the way that you deal with money. How did you grow up? How were you indoctrinated? How do you deal with it is, is how you grew up watching, right? So the snowball or the avalanche method versus, you know, very, having multiple debts with varying interest rates and wanting to tackle that highest interest rate largely depends, I guess, on your personality and your indoctrination, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. And it goes somewhat to the point we make of it depends. 
And that's where there may be other ways to go about the same thing, but it depends on you. It depends on what you're feeling, your circumstance. And by giving good advice, hopefully, you can still navigate where you need to go. Mm-hmm. Baby steps. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Baby yeah, steps. You, you, you have to. You can't eat. It's a hard sit. lesson, though. Yeah, but you can't eat an elephant all at the same time, right? Yeah, but that takes, takes a life. Advice. I mean, I, I, I just turned 60. I'm going to full, fully disclose, and it's taken me a lifetime to to master that. It, it is a primal instinct to want instant gratification, want to have something resolved, especially if you have debt or you have a financial goal that you want to meet. It's it's crazy how you can rationalize your decisions. Well, and there's a ton of super smart people, yourself included, but you think about those who are especially in academia or those higher levels out there of society that are very smart people, but they may not be smart with their money. I mean, you think about Isaac Newton. This is a famous guy, gravity. I mean, really famous, really smart. Yeah, exactly. I've got to tell a quick story here, Tracy. You didn't know this was coming, did you? (laughs) I'm a little nervous. No, it's his investment story, though. So this guy, he goes, he gets in, I believe it was the South India Trading Company. Excuse me. He goes, makes some wild investments, wonderful investments, really. And he's looking around and he sees all of his neighbors are doing well. The stock's doing well. He sells out. He says, I'm going to cash out right now. He cashes out. He keeps looking at his neighbors getting wealthier and wealthier, buying more land or houses. And he goes, but I'm tired of missing this, probably with an accent. But he goes ahead and buys more. We puts all, And at that time, he was a very wealthy man in the millions. Puts all his money into it, bottom falls out. He loses all. The founder of Gravity, as Cole said here, <laughs> died penniless. That's tragic. That's one of the smartest people we could think of, one of the smartest examples. But the idea was he let his emotions take control. It was a greed factor. It was that more. It was keeping up with the neighbors. So when you think about it, it doesn't matter who you are in some of this or how much money you have. These principles don't change. And that's where that behavioral finance is so important. Great. I had to work that story. Yeah, I like in there. that. That's a good story. That's a great story. So, are there? Let's talk about investing. This, this is. Uh, I just want to kind of an overarching have a little bit of a discussion. Um, are there are there beginner friendly investment options for people while they're trying to save and pay off debt? Does it make sense to invest at all if you have debt? I guess is the first question. I think it depends on the, the tools that you have available, but I would say generally speaking, even if you're trying to save and have debt, it's still worth contributing to an employer-provided 401k or 403b if you're getting a company match. If, if you're not getting a company match, it, it gets a little bit more debatable. It still makes sense, uh, just in the sense that you're taking uh, advantage of the time value of money, compounding interest, but... If you are offered an employ- employer match and you're not taking advantage of it, you're really leaving money on the table. So that, that would probably be the the, the, the go-to, mm-hmm. essentially, the, the basic one I would consider. The other one, too, is it depends on your personality. If you're someone who you have this mountain of debt and you pay it off and all of a sudden you feel free again and you build another mountain of debt, you Please might don't. as well have been right exactly. That is the recommendation. But if you're going to do that or you know that's your personality, keep squirreling money away on the side all along. You know, you can pay off debt and you can go back into debt. That might be your cycle. But make sure you're contributing a healthy amount, a healthy amount along the way, not just that match maybe or Mm -hmm. that minimum. But if you're somebody who you know you have cash flow issues, take advantage of that forced savings wherever possible. And then forget about yourself first. Yeah, exactly. That income cycle we'll talk about in another show. There's a lot of conversations that that I've that I've had with people over the years, you know, family and friends who are we've debated. Well, if I have 
debt, if I have credit card debt, student loan debt, uh, car loan, whatever it is, we'll exclude mortgages. Uh, what's the point of of uh, putting it in my Roth or my 401k when I can I can jump uh, drop big lump sums on this credit card debt or this car loan debt or whatever it is to get ahead and then when it's paid off take those big chunks and throw them towards the retirement vehicles so what's the argument there the, the arguments you got to work a lot harder to catch up depending on how long it takes you so the, the idea with the time value of money uh, another one of the planners Craig and I were actually looking at a client who's hired his his daughter in his business and he's paying her enough to make Roth IRA contributions. She'll be six years old this year, I think. <laughs> and if she saves $7,000 a year into a Roth IRA for the next 54 years, that's $5.5 million. Seven grand a year for 54 what? years, $5.5 million. So that, that that's the idea. You got to save a lot more than $7,000 a year. If you're 30, if you're 40, because you're waiting to get those other pieces paid off before you get started. Do you remember what you used as your interest rate or earnings rate in that calculation? It, it wasn't dramatic. It was 8%, kind okay. of the, the standard, uh, well, what you use for projections. We could have used 6 but Okay, but you used, again, you said 8%, yeah. and you assumed no investment, no specific investment, just a general rate of return. Yeah, the flat 8, flat 7 every year for the next 54 years. Pretty neat. That was another one of those geniuses out there, Ben Franklin, talking about the power of compound interest. He just read my Did mind. Ah, that's another one. I thought he just did the light bulb. Uh, you're a funny guy, Cole. <laughs> funny guy. You stick, to Edison, you stick to financial planning, Cole, please. I'm just trying to, just trying to razz you, Tim. Speaking of uh, spreading it thin and trying to find places to put your money uh, where it really counts the most in the new year, uh, let's talk about people who are looking into side hustles, second businesses, part-time jobs, Um you know, we're, we're, we don't have all the answers. We don't have a, you know, a crystal ball, but do we have any kind of um, leg that we can get, you know, get, get people ahead of the game by offering up opportunities for them to do that? Don't let barriers to entry stop you, whether that's time, money, lawyers, tax things, please. If you think you've got a great idea and you want to go into business and do something, usually the best way is get your hands dirty first. Start. I mean, there's a couple things where you want to make sure you're protected from a liability or regulatory standpoint, depending upon what you're doing. But for the most part, to hang out your shingle as a sole proprietor, get things started, keep good records. That's usually the best way to start because you never know. And this is one of those things where I think more and more the value of entrepreneurship and the value of having that freedom that comes with it and a lot of responsibility, sometimes we undervalue that. We don't really think about that a lot. But when you're thinking about how do I get my freedom back, that's one of the big ways. What's just kind of sidebar, what's what? If you can think of anything, what's the worst thing a side hustle can do to somebody's financial plan? Require a huge upfront investment, maybe even worse, borrowed money or the pledge of more money in the future. Mm -hmm. We get real nervous about those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I say when you ask that question, I was immediately thinking franchises. Not that all of them are bad, but I think a lot of people go into those thinking it's it's easy money. Mm -hmm. Basically, you do your buy-in, everyone else manage it, manages it for you, and you get your paycheck, but... Uh, there's a lot more of a time commitment than I think a lot of people are aware of or consider going into it. Uh, so it's very easy to get burned. That's because they put so much up front. Right. And even those where it may not require a lot up front, you've got to read that fine print 
are they requiring you to open more stores? Mm -hmm. Are you required to do a certain amount of volume or they can open up a neighbor, you know, store right next to you? These are things that are kind of the gotchas too, where depending upon what you're doing in that side hustle or whatever we want to call it, that business, you may want to look to say, do I need all this? Could I do it on my own Mm -hmm. and get a little experience perhaps by doing it early? And researching it is really important. And just don't just jump in head first and say, I'm going to be a dog walker. You know, research it, determine in your area how many dog walkers there are. Look at the demographics, talk to an attorney. Um, those kinds of things are really important before you start throwing money at the, you know, collars and leashes and, and treats, right? And, and see about getting disability insurance first. It can be really hard dealing with dogs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't think about that one. Yeah, yeah insurance is a real big a, a real big component to side hustles. So oh, yeah. great information. Thanks, guys. Um, mindful spending, you know, we talk a lot about that. Uh, it's, it's, it's all around you, you know, whether you like shoes or cars. Uh, being mindful of how you spend your money and where, where it's going is obviously – starts with you, starts with your prioritization. Uh, Let's talk about retirement readiness because that mindset is going to impact you directly in the long term. So uh, retirement readiness, let's kind of define what that is, um, overarching, um, and then get into the details. Tony? The cards are laid. You have what you have. Whatever you've saved is what you have. Whatever you've earned in Social Security, a pension, it's what you have. Parents may not be here anymore. You may not have an inheritance anyway. You have what you have. To me, that's the first step of accepting retirement and maybe the scary part a little. Mm -hmm. But I think it's really easy for some, especially when we're thinking about the theme of today, maybe getting back on track. It's so easy to dismiss it as a tomorrow problem sometimes, whether that's saving more, whether that's dealing with a succession plan, whether that's unwinding some investments that have done tremendously well. But maybe you just need to diversify. I mean, that's where the first step is usually get the data, get the experts, do your research, everything you were just sharing there, Tracy, because that'll really help in the long run. Do you want to go by age? You want to talk about re- retirement readiness by age group to give people some context? Um, I, I don't know if it's so I think much we age group. covered that actually earlier. That's but... the goal. But I, I guess to continue the thought there, though, real quick. The other part of retirement readiness with the you have what you have is that should be the motivation to do more while you're able, right. while you're working, sure. while you have the ability, the idea that you can always do something else or get that next job or get that next bonus. That's not always true. You get one bad roll of the dice sometimes in life and that's it. Yeah. I mean, you don't have the ability to go back to work or get that next promotion. So you have what you have. Mm-hmm. And again, I keep repeating that, but I think it's really important. Again, no matter how much you've spent, how much, you, or I'm sorry, no matter how much you have saved, you're going to be spending a lot in retirement. Hopefully it's on fun stuff and not all health care. But if you need health care, that's going to be money you want to have available. I have a question. How, how, impacting is the economy on the path to retirement. So if you're in your, let's, let's say you're in your forties, you know, you're kind of sitting right in the middle and things are kind of rough in the economy. Is, is that something that you should, and, and this is what the professional is for, but this is kind of what the conversation's about, you know, relative to readiness. Do you pull back? Is there ever time where you pull back on your contributions or your plan to accommodate the economy uh, as long as unless unless you have a obviously an income increase or something like that, I, I think if everything else is paid for, you keep making your contributions the way you are. 
uh, honestly, a, a distressed economy, assuming you keep your job, and it's a big assumption. Now you think back to 2008, that it's not guaranteed. But if you keep your job and the market's down as a result of, uh, we'll call it a recession, that's a great time to keep throwing money into the market. In fact, that's the best time to keep throwing money into the market. Yeah, when we think about it, to answer you again, Tracy, no, I mean, it's you, the markets are cyclical, whether you're in your 20, teens, 20s, 30s, 40s, you're on the verge of retirement, or you're 20 years into retirement. The idea that you're going to react based upon the current market or current economic cycle, I think you might not be doing something right. You know, you want to be prepared because guess what? There's going to be another recession. Mm -hmm. There's going to be another boom. There's going to be another bust. But if you're prepared by being diversified, having that cash reserve, not living within your means, not overborrowing, all these things we're talking about, well, the bigger picture, markets are going to go up and down, recessions happen, but you've got to be sticking to your plan all along the way. And that's part of the value of an advisor. Again, I was recently sitting in on a study or listening to it. And when you think about those who work with an advisor, they're doing so much better in their decision making. Mm -hmm. I mean, I won't get into the returns or the numbers there, but the idea is by sticking with the advisor, it's not even necessarily the advice they give. It's helping you stay the course from what you already agreed. I often te- I often tell people the role of the certified financial planner is that of coach, mentor, friend, marriage counselor, <laughs> referee. <laughs> so oh, you guys yeah. do it all. Tax smart financial moves for the new year. This is the final kind of topic I want to get into when you're making your new new year's resolutions and you're trying to prepare your financial plan. When do you start looking at your taxes and assessing what changes might need to be made? And we're not accountants, but this is kind of a little bit of a bullet point list of things for you to think about as we're getting ready for tax season. I think that the big thing is W2 season. We should be getting that soon. Filing our taxes will be coming soon. Honestly, getting a gauge of where we should be for the current tax year uh, from a withholding standpoint is that thing I'd keep in mind just this early in the year because we have the, the rest of the year to make our adjustments to withholdings. So if we're expecting a, a pretty nasty letter from the IRS, a pretty big tax surprise, now's the time to avoid that for, for 2024. Yeah, the other piece, too, is be planning ahead because and not just ahead for 2024, but, you know, tax laws are going to change at some point. Whether they change dramatically or whether they change in a small way, we don't know that. But chances are they are going to change. I mean, these current individual tax cuts are set to expire if Congress does nothing. So we've only got about two more years of the current tax code before it reverts back to where it was before. So I think if you're planning along the way, there's some strategies you could employ, like if I know what bracket I'm in and I'm going to have enough money that I'm well below the threshold of the next income bracket, the percentage, maybe I take out a little more. Maybe I pay a little more at that next yeah, rate. That's what I'm asking. Yeah, yeah. That's the kind of strategy, though, that by planning ahead, being deliberate, again, we know the kids are there, the sports schedule's there, work's there. You have so much going on in life sometimes. That's why having an expert along the way or having those dedicated times to meet is so important, someone to help keep you on track. Because, again, we know life happens, and it's these things that we can really get in the weeds on a different tax strategy or savings that, you know what, if we're just scratching the surface on this podcast, that's where we really dive into it by getting the documents and the data when we're working with someone. Great. This has been fantastic. So the new use resolutions could be tough to bring to life. So the the takeaway is set them realistically, be kind to yourself, 
uh, get organized, you know, make the decision uh, about your priorities. If you'd like to come talk to us and set up a complimentary consultation, we'd love to talk to you and help you kind of go through your baseline to see if there are potential opportunities for you to do things better. Uh, We appreciate you tuning in and we hope you'll continue following us. We are managing to be wealthy. That's a wrap for today's episode of the Managing to be Wealthy podcast. We help you make the most of your money without any hidden fees or commissions. Remember, the best investment you can make is in yourself and your financial future. Keep listening for more expert advice and tips. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. To schedule a one-hour complimentary consultation to discuss your financial concerns, visit our website, managingtobewealthy.com.